Hello all, and thank you for tuning in to the Bad Hombres FC podcast, a podcast focusing all things soccer in the DMV and across the United States. My name is Jose Omaña, sports writer for Sports Pulse, and joining me as always is our co-host Mario Meyer from Tiempo Latino. Mario, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Uh, I'm just sitting here wondering why is it so cold outside, but I digress. Have you gone outside? <laughs> like, <laughs> for those who don't know, it is snow, sleet, and rain. There's well, a reason it's cold outside. Well, I mean, I walked out of my shorts this morning, and then it just said, it's surprise. We, we know it's cold outside. First mistake of the day. Anyway, before we talk about any roster changes that have happened in the past couple of days for DC United, we would be remiss if we don't discuss what happened over the weekend, and that is the Columbus crew defeating the Seattle Sounders to win MLS Cup for this year in this wacky, insane 25th anniversary season due to COVID. The Columbus crew won their second MLS Cup in history with a 3-0 victory at home in their final game at Maffrey Stadium as they plan to to move to their new building and facilities. McFree was the first soccer-specific stadium in the United States. Overall, it was the Lucas Salarian show. He would be a contributor in all three goals, uh, scoring two and getting an assist in one. Mario, overall, what were your thoughts on the game and how the crew basically took over from minute one and did not let go? Well, I can safely say that Seattle's attack was as cold as it is outside today, so we're going to go with that. I think we kind of figured out that Columbus, being that this was their final game in map free ever, and this, and they were hosting the MLS Cup, they were going to be up to the challenge. And I, I was uh, particularly surprised that Seattle had no answers for any of the Columbus crew's attacks. I thought that Columbus did extremely well controlling the tempo of the game and just controlling the action all in itself. And Lucas Celarayan, who was their big money signing for this year, pretty much took over the game and did what he pleased in the midfield. He was a, he was just able to pick the uh, Seattle, uh, Seattle Sounders defense apart. And so... It's interesting that they did that, and they did it without two of their two of their pillars in the midfield. They didn't have Darlington Nagby, they didn't have Pedro Santos because of co- because of COVID. But I think Derek Etienne and Aiden Morris, not Jordan, Mo- not the Morris that we expected to sh- to shine in this game, pretty much took uh, took over and were able to pick up the slack that Nagby and Santos would have. And just one other player that I think that we failed to mention, Luis Diaz. Luis Diaz, I think I've said it a few times, one of those players that you don't take lightly, also took control down the wing and was able to give Seattle fits. So all in all, it was the perfect final played by Columbus and Caleb Porter. And that's a, you get that, there's the end result. Yeah, just quickly on Salerian, you know, if you didn't know the story about his career was playing in Mexico the past couple of seasons, but wasn't getting that daily playing time and the move to MLS, at least the picture that Univision had painted. They even personally uh, had a couple of his former players and teammate teammates talk about it was 
him going to MLS was just going to be a signal of a downturn of his career because depending on, you know, what team you're coming from, you know, he's coming from one of the better sides in the league, in Liga Mekis. And so he's going from a big club to Columbus that almost disappeared from Columbus and almost went to Austin until the Haslam family took over ownership and, you know, they expanded to Austin and created a new club there. But that club almost was not in existence for Lucas to go to. To go then from being basically a minnow player, not really getting a lot of playing time or consistent playing time, to be going to Columbus, a smaller club, but a big club in MLS, you know, none for less. It's a franchise in MLS, but it's not the ones that get the attentions that often, despite its history, despite the fact that it has the first soccer-specific stadium. So... It just doesn't get enough pub. And so to go there, you're now the big fish. And he just took advantage of it. And the MLS Cup showed it the way he scored that third goal where he just took that one quick touch and then just cracked that left footer for the third goal. I thought he played with such class. The pass that he gave uh, Derek Ente Jr. for his second goal that was off the volley for the second goal of the game. I just thought that he was just so influential. And the fact that he goes from doing close to nothing, not really being given a chance in Liga Mekis, to now being the man in Columbus. And sometimes that happens in careers where you just need one move and get one chance. And he took advantage of it with Columbus. I have to say this, and I immediately texted you after the second goal, and I said immediately this was going to be mentioned. Alex Rodan was a liability on that right wing defensively. Uh, Brian Schmetzer, you know, told Univision after the the halftime that he, you know, he was shocked at the way his team was handling the first forty-five. I was shocked that he didn't really have a solution for that problem until after the first forty-five. It was insane, like. Aldrodan, yes, he's a he's a good player, twenty four year old, uh, has you know got drafted. His brother plays with, on the team, and Christian Rodan, but it just felt like just too many times. And look, he's played, he's had active minutes, he's had starts, but he only had three starts this year. He's actually been more influential coming off the bench than than as a as a starter, but he came in as a, more as, as a starter in the playoffs and, and he became more of a contributor towards the end of the season, especially after the COVID restart, he'd been playing more as a sub and he got three starts, especially he was really, he did really well um, against LA and and so the Galaxy, where they got the 1-1 tie so they can remain in second place. But he, he was just a liability in the way that, you know, he, he over-anticipated things with Entian when he would move up too much and then overlap with his brother because they play the same wing. And he would overlap too much, leaving a grand amount of space to Jesse Zardes, to Etienne, to... Exalarian, it's just you can't leave those three with so much space. I think you mentioned it, um, if not here uh, on Twitter. Zardes almost had a goal in the opening five minutes, like it was just, and it came from a corner kick on the right side. And so it's just it, it, he just it felt like that first forty-five minutes, Seattle was too vulnerable 
in the there weren't any quick solutions. There wasn't no, hey, you need to mark a man mark him. There was no, hey, you're not gonna overlap anymore. It was just they were so stunned. I don't know what they weren't expecting. Do they not have League Pass? Do they not have ESPN Plus? Did you not do your research? Did you not know that Lucas Asalian would go on YouTube? Right. It's just like it felt like why are you stunned? Also, kids a midfielder slash defender who's only had three stars this year. Yeah, he's getting a lot of playing time off the bench. But was were you lacking in depth in the right hand side? Like it was just it was, like I, as someone who doesn't watch Seattle often, you you see that and then you go, wow, is this the best right back they have, or are they coming in with like an injury situation? And it turned out that there was an injury situation, but. Like, just because the kid gets a good start in the playoffs, like doesn't mean that's the guy I'm gonna ride with. I, especially if he's a defensive liability, and it showed at the worst time possible. Right. I think one of the other things is see, and you gave me like these weird shades of when Seattle won their first MLS Cup in 2016. Where I don't even think they had a shot of goal in that game, and they were just banking on a solid defensive performance like on a solid defensive performance from their back line and having Stefan Frey stop everything that back then that kind of worked only difference between what was that game against Toronto and what it was Columbus on Saturday was Columbus had better aim. They, I think I pointed out in in a previous podcast, Columbus, when they pick their spots, they pick them out perfectly and they take advantage of them. And they were able to pick their spots at those precise moments and just score. They were able to pounce and just expose the back line for Seattle. Uh, Stephen Frey can't bail you out all the time, and that that's kind of what happened. I know that there, there's a phrase that talent finds a way to win games, but what Columbus did really well is they were able to neutralize Jordan Morris and Raul Ruiz Diaz throughout the game, they were non-factors. And Nicolas Lodeiro was trying, but again, Nicolas Lodeiro, just like Stephen Frey, they can't do this all by themselves. you got to have support, and I think that's just what happened. There was no support through parts of this game for Seattle, and everything they did felt flat. And while Columbus, whenever they picked their spots, they pounced on those opportunities and were able to make the most of it. And again, when it came, when it comes down to the sides, not only was Derek Etienne giving Alex Roldan problems, but in the second half, Luis Diaz was giving, I want to say Smith was his last name. He was giving him fits the entire time. Luis Diaz was able to go down the wing and absolutely just torch Seattle defensively, and he's the one that sets up the assist for Lucas Celarayan's third goal. So, not only did Columbus was Columbus able to dominate, they were able to pick their moments and they and pretty much take advantage of it. And just like you were talking about Lucas Celarayan, we could talk the same as kind of a redemption kind of story for Jazzy Zardis. Granted, he didn't score, but he played excellent in this in this game. Jazzy Zardis had a career had a career year. This was a guy that at the LA Galaxy was kind of misused after a while, either playing him at a mid in the midfield spot or in the wing. When we now know that this man's a striker, 
This man's always been a striker. He's not the fastest player in the world. And yeah, we make fun of his first touch here and there. But him as a him as a striker has been has been a godsend for Columbus, and they've been able to you take it to his use it to his advantage. And not only that, you have the right pieces around him that were able to make him succeed this season. So I think not only was this team who was close to moving to Austin, it's kind of just like redemption stories all around for Columbus, and and the end result was them lifting the sec their second MLS Cup. Yeah, I feel like we come out of this game more like, oh, Columbus, they're really good and they could be good for years to come. And we end up coming out with more questions about Seattle where, you know, Seattle entered the game as the possible favorites because of, you know, the oh, three-headed gods. Yeah, but now you don't know if their coach is coming back. Lodato, and let's not even forget, too, we're kind of miss, not mentioning this as often, and not a lot has been talked about because they just, unlike many other sports or a lot of the other people who caught COVID, they seem to be fine. But let's not forget, two of those three of the head three-headed monster in Seattle, that's Lodato and Rui Diaz, contracted COVID-19 before the playoffs. And, you know, they miss significant time. And we don't know what the extent, like, you know, maybe Rui Diaz finally just got tired. Or we don't even know. You know, in the playoffs, he was a little in and out. And the focus was on him. And other people had to then perform around him. And Lodeiro, you know, that was... You know, yeah, he was frustrated, but I've seen him do better with less. And so it, one has to wonder how much that played into a factor as well. Schmetzer, yes, the club confirmed earlier today that they're having talks with Schmetzer about resigning him. But one has to look at this performance and go, you had it in the bag. All you had to do was get this win against you know the western conference if there's one if you're neutral and you don't watch mls often the western conference specifically the teams in the specific northwest see themselves above the fray you know if there if there's a way i can explain it best is the western conference feels that they are better than the eastern conference eastern conference always beats themselves up too much and travels less and in the western conference they travel more but there's just more spots of luxury of luxury over there you know, free agents want to go to the West. And so the soccer looks better in the Western Conference than it does in the Eastern Conference, where it's more gritty, grimy games. But Columbus doesn't play that way. Columbus plays in a very fast attack pace. We're going to get you with crosses, and we're going to get you with, you know, our speedy midfielders coming in, and we're going to go with volleys and headers and quick strikes. Like, they'll attack your goal at will at times, too. So... I just we come out with more questions about Seattle than we do about Columbus. I sitting in the Eastern Conference right now with DC United, and we'll get to them in a quick second. I look at what Columbus did, and I go, "Well, shoot, we have New England essentially rebuilding anew. We have <laughs> we have Atlanta, who's going to be motivated." We're gonna. We just had, we had Inter Miami just fire their GM and their coach is saying he's he's sticking it out for next year. So we wonder how Miami's gonna look. And and uh, it, it's 
in Orlando looks like to be doing a whole rebuild and United like the East is going to be interesting, but Columbus right now looks to be the best of the East right now. Absolutely. And I think one of the other things that we got to applaud Caleb Porter is he's no, able to, <laughs> okay. I'm a turk, so uh, I I'll, I'll, I'll applaud Caleb Porter. You, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have reasons. <laughs> I think what Caleb Porter was able to do in Columbus was not only you were able to build a very good, pacey midfield and like that they were able to touch the ball really well, you were able to establish a pretty sound defensive team as well. Like, their back line, I feel, deserves a little bit of credit. And it's led by a guy like Jonathan Mensa, who was a Ghanaian national. Yeah. He played in World Cups. And he was able to lead the back line. You had another guy and Harrison Afool, who, who, re- who was really good throughout, throughout the uh, season for Columbus, and especially in the playoffs, especially in this game. He was able to attack, but also... Defensively, they were able to build it together. And I think the revelation of this game was Aiden Morris. Not a lot of people knew about him, including myself. I'll be honest with you right now. He was able to take Nagby's position and just roll with it. And he was able to be that kind of like that backstop between offense and defense and absolutely stop Seattle, Seattle's midfield going further to their frustrations. So I think player selection, player personnel choices for, uh, for Caleb Porter going into this game were, uh, were a hit for him. And it, it, again, it leads you to an MLS cup. Now you look at the rest of the Eastern conference is you don't necessarily have to mirror what Columbus has done, but they're going to come gunning. And they're going to come gunning for that crown, especially teams like New England that made it to an Eastern Conference final. And you have Bruce Arena as your head coach. They're, they can only, there's only, the only way they could look is up. Same goes with uh, Atlanta, who wants to prove a point that 2020 was an absolute fluke of a year for them. Um, DC United, again, trying to come up with a rebirth now that they're looking for a new head coach. After Ben Olsen left, uh, and I you got think- Nashville. You got Nashville, who did well in their first season, and you have the Philadelphia Union supporter show winners. You know what a nice blend of experience and and DP. They won't have a couple players come back, but you know I, I think many people now trust them in the way they're they're doing their academy stuff. Right, and let's fun. not forget. And also, let's not forget Toronto. Like, this is a team that is losing their best head coach ever. So they're going to come back with something to prove, and they've got young players coming up the pipeline, such as Akadola. So the Eastern Conference is going to be interesting. And I think if you're Columbus, we got to prepare to defend the throne at all costs coming into next season. Most definitely, but we shall see as the league gets ready. They will take six weeks off. The players are required to have six weeks off after a season that ends with the MLS Cup before they can start training camps. But the league is already making moves. There was a half-day trade window uh, a couple of days following MLS Cup 
and DC United and Austin FC, the new expansion franchise coming into oh, the league, have already oh, the open window as DC United traded Lisa Segura to Austin for $150,000 of general allocation money. Segura come, came from uh, Saprissa from Costa Rica in 2017. He's made 68 appearances for the Black and Red and 46 starts. Scored his first goal in 2018 and went on to be a essential piece for when Ben Olsen was head coach and in the latter stages of this season as well. You know, Mario, before I get into why United made this move, um, you know, can you talk a little bit about what do you think of the move as well as, you know, what United loses in trading Segura? Uh, I find the move to be interesting. Um, some people could say this is a guy that you couldn't really be without because of what Lisa Segura offered was someone that came off the bench of the bench. He was that could come off the bench. You could also use him in several positions on the field, uh, because of his excellent pace and just his ability to it, to be able to hold on to the ball a little while. A little bit, using being a little bit physical as a forward, so you you lose a little bit of pace in that in that regard. Uh, I find I find it not surprising in a way that DC United was going to trade Ulisa Segura. I mean that that was something that should be that was probably in the back burner for them for a while, and so Austin needed the bodies. DC United was like, "We'll offer them to you," and. Yeah, I think I think the move is going to be is going to be good in the long run because you receive some you receive a type of compensation at this point 150 grand in GAM, and so it sucks that you see him go because he's someone that was used as a really well as a depth piece, but I think you you can be you'll be able to manage to find somewhat of a replacement for him pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, look, it's just, look, I like Segura. I thought he was very, especially the way Ben used him, he became the new Nick DeLeon in a way that he became the new Swiss Army knife. I need a replacement sub in midfield. I put Segura in there. Oh, look, I'm down to my, I have no strikers left. Oh, well, Lisa Segura played a little striker. It's a free so I'll put him there. Oh, I need a new attacking midfielder because all my midfielders are hurt. Well, I'll put him there. He just became this piece because he's so, like, he's so flexible because of the way he plays. He's normally a center midfielder, but he can play box to box. He's more efficient in attack, though, but he's a terrible shot. Like, he's he has all the tools to be this type of player that, you know, you may want as an 11 behind your main striker. And so that made him expendable, though, because whoever the new coach comes in, they're going to want to look at the talent they have and build depth, but also make changes up top. And you look at what United has. First, it already has depth. It has three academy kids that don't count against the salary cap. And then you have two DP midfielders in Pariola and Edison Flores. So then, and then you have uh, Assad who earned his spot on the team and United's he's on a cheap contract with United, less than a hundred K 
then you're looking at what Zelisa Segura make. He makes 170k. We've heard reports that they're trying to restructure a contract with Felipe, so they'll have the 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 spine of that midfield covered. So it just leaves room for exit at this point. And so I'm not surprised about the move, but it but I'm not upset about it. I think. Segura sees himself as a full 90-minute player, and he deserves playing time. And there's a lot of former people from D.C. United that's going to Austin, whether it's part of the coaching staff or possible uh, academy people for the academy they're building down in Texas. So he's not going to be the only new person there that doesn't have any D.C. United ties. So I think overall, it's a good move for him. It's a good move for the club. They get a lot of money out of the deal when they when they got him from Saprisa. You know, <laughs> if you if you told DC United later, hey, you're gonna have him for three years, but he'll you'll get a hundred fifty thousand dollars back. United would have said, yeah, we'll take that. <laughs> so <laughs> you know. He, he's aging out in, you know, while he's still young, but he's aging out and he's still, and don't forget, he's, he may not be available for June and July, the big important months of MLS, in my opinion, as he's going to go play in the Gold Cup. So for Costa Rica, he's a, he plays, he's an international. So it, he would have not been available to be that Swiss Army knife this year. So overall, I, I think it's a good move for all parties. Right. And I, I think going forward is you may want to find the, someone of that Swiss Army knife, or you may want to like find someone that had like a couple players that have defined roles. Because when you have a player with, when, it's, when they're like a Swiss Army knife type of player, it's a good thing, but it could also be a bad thing because you don't know. If like the wear and tear of just playing multiple positions at once can catch up to them, and so yeah, I think in the long run it's a good move. I mean, I personally hate hate to see Segura go, but at the same time, you need to move on, and I think you'll find more playing time in Austin. Yep, and you know maybe, and you know, if you see in Austin, Austin is really trying their darnest uh, to make their presence known they in that half day trade window they got Julia Cantona Julio uh, Cascante uh Julio Cascante from Portland they got John Gallagher who was Atlanta he basically was Atlanta United's offense this year Ben Sweat who played pretty well for Inter Miami the biggest move, in my opinion, they got Nick Lima, who plays defense, and he's a U.S. international. Never got along with the coaching staff at San Jose. Um, so he's going to get, he will be the lead guy in defense. Expansion draft came. We don't really need to talk about who DC United left unprotected because guess what? No DC United players were selected in the expansion draft. Good for United if they were trying to keep some guys. Sucks that they were trying to get rid of big contracts. Some of the bigger names that were let go were Danny Hosen from San Jose and Joe Benny Corona of the Galaxy. But that moves us to the final topic of the day, and that is that MLS just announced that the 2021 MLS Super Draft is here to stay. It will take place January 21st at 2 p.m. 
Austin will have the first pick of the draft. And it does confirm reports. And MLS did confirm reports from the Athletic from about a month ago that the draft will go from five rounds to three. DC United will have three picks this year, the fourth overall pick as well as the 31st and the 58th overall picks. Anybody who, within the last year or two, who received a fourth-round pick will get a will will still get the pick at the end of the third round. Some players, uh, if they had a fourth-round pick sent via trade. Overall, Mara, with all the COVID and everything going on, I think that the fact that they're still trying to do an MLS Cup and they're trying to be a little bit flexible. Uh, players will, some players may be able to stay with their college teams instead of reporting to their MLS clubs and then report to their MLS clubs in May. You know, how do you feel about a the fact that we're still doing the super the super draft, and b that there is a possibility that a majority of these picks will be ending will go to their college teams while the the league restarts in March. I think I heard Dave Casper just yelling, just yelling uh, yells of joy and like from far away when he found out there's still going to be a super draft. So, <laughs> so there, there's that. Um, it's interesting that we're still going with the super draft. I'll, I'll be honest with you. It was one of those things that I was like, oh, it's probably not going to happen with everything that's gone on with COVID, but that we're going, that MLS is still going through with this it is interesting. How this is all going to set up. We're saying like, hey, you're not going to report to your teams just right away. You could finish your college season and then go report to your teams. I find that to be fascinating. But it's also going to be like one of those weird good things. Because once they report to their teams, they're just going to be finishing their seasons with their with their college teams. So they'll have, they'll have some... Uh, it's the word I'm looking for. They'll have some playing time in them, but also you got to give them a break a little bit because again, they're finishing. Some of them are going to finish a really long college season that ends in the college cup. So you got to give them a break. Yeah. A small, a small little break, but then you also got to give them a little bit of an adjustment period, but the get the, the, uh, the game, the game, them playing games, they they won't be, they won't be they won't be out of game. They'll be they'll be in game shape. But I think also just one of the things you got to consider is you got to give them some time of that adjustment period. And if you have them coming in in May, and if the league starts hypothetically in April, you give them some time to catch up. But at the same time, it'll probably take that that adjustment period is going to take a certain amount of time going into the latter parts of the season. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I don't. <laughs> I think you see other leagues. I mean, look, I don't mean to trash what you're saying. It's just, I <laughs> see, we see what the other leagues are doing. They all had their drafts. They did it virtually. As you can tell, I was trying to be the benevolent one here. There's nothing to be benevolent about. I just think MLS knows it's a business and they have to be smart. But here's the problem. So the NCAA is messing this up because if I'm a player that thinks it could be a first round pick, end up slipping in the draft, I got an agent. 
and the league then tells me I'm okay with going back to my college team, will the NCAA be okay with that? They still haven't really answered that question because the question it's always been if you get an agent, you are no longer a a a quote unquote student athlete. But if I'm able to be uh, drafted early and then join my team later and still be a student. Like it, I don't see why you couldn't like it. It's pretty ridiculous. So there's that confusing part. Number one, number two, if I draft someone, it's because I want them there from day one. I know that these teams are going to have the options, but isn't that what your, your second division team is for? Or are we still confused about that? Oh, are we going back to the reserve league? Like MLS is building a hole of confusion by having this draft. Now, I would have respected the league more if they just had a baseball year this year. Base for those who don't know, baseball has their college draft in the middle of the season, but that's because they no one expects a college kid to be selected and then go into you know, playing, you know, he'll go to the minors and, and get better. In this case, I follow a little bit of the college soccer scene because of my time covering at Maryland. It, there's no one that excites me right now. The, everybody who gets picked up by the, anybody and everybody who's a talented player who's been scouted is either on an academy or is at an affiliated travel team that then gets signed into the first team of a pro MLS team. So, and then they're sent to either play, play in the USL or they end up playing in MLS. And so there's a lot of these, while I want the super draft to continue, but it's not so super anymore because it's not the talented players that stay one. And two, if you're at a school like Maryland, that's a big soccer powerhouse, your kids are getting picked off every week. Uh, and I'm being exaggerated there, but, you know, there are times that kids either get signed to contracts before they're done the college season or right after the college season before they even get scooped up by MLS. They're already taking trials in Europe. There's a kid that I was looking at recently that played at, at Loyola. The kids was making a was making a GoFundMe because he got looks at Mexico and Spain. And he was like, well, I'm not going to wait for MLS. I'm just going to go. And so that's the problem I see now. Do If they wait, they may miss out that player. They may miss out that kid. That well, that kid that that is a talent that will go to Europe because they're not going to waste time waiting for the NCAA or waiting for the Big Ten or the ACC or whoever hasn't played to play in the spring. He's just not going to wait. He's going to go. But if they do it now, how much tape do we have of these kids? Like, really? Like, if an academy kid was a freshman, didn't play this year, but is a really good was a really good high school star, do you bank it? A lot of these kids wouldn't bank it. But if I was talented enough to get pro scouts to look at me, why shouldn't I go to the draft? Because you have no film on me? And then you... I have to sell yourself based on your high school skills when nobody's seen you play in a year. So I feel like everybody's at a disadvantage, but I feel like MLS is going to try and trot along because at the end of the day, you can't, they're going to, they're, you know, they're not letting the disease beat them or whatever all these phonies say. Um, it's just, it's going to be a mess. Yes. There are teams like DC United that know how to pick, utilize the draft, but 
there are coaches now, like, and I'm looking at him figuratively. I'm looking at you, Bruce Arena, who refused to take the draft seriously and then just use the picks to then just scrap people. Heck, even Ben Olsen, towards the later end of his run, only used the first-round pick of drafts. He, the, everybody else got let go during training camp. So at the end of the day, I just – I don't know. Maybe they were better off waiting until June to then doing the draft, giving people time to actually see the players they want to see. And, heck, allow good, talented players show themselves and show their talent. Because if I'm DC United and let's say I draft someone and then the kid sucks in college and I go, well, crap, that's my player. <laughs> and then and then meanwhile, you know, somebody who was drafted in the third round has a gangbusters year in college. Well, he was already selected by Colorado, and you may have a need, and so and then his value goes up more than the when you guys would have just traded swap picks for draft picks. So it just it becomes a competitive disadvantage, and no one's in, like everyone's gonna lose in this situation at the end. And so hopefully MLS pretends it knows what it's doing. The main word there is pretend knows what it's doing. That's the main thing. <laughs> yes, but I'm out of breath and we're out of time. So go ahead, Mario. Tell people where they can learn more about you and stay away from my college ramblings. All right. So if you want to actually hear coherent and benevolent takes on college sports, uh, just want to read one of my articles. Or listen to my inspirational quotes such as Live, Laugh, Love, something you can find at your local TJ Maxx. You can follow me on Twitter at MarioMaya1. You can also follow El Tiempo Latino, the publication that I write for, at El Tiempo Latino. You can follow them on their website at ElTiempoLatino.com. And if you're absolutely willing, really dying to get a physical newspaper in your hand, guess what? You're in luck. You can get them in newsstands everywhere. And or your local metro station. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Jose underscore M underscore Mana for more information and content on whatever I'm doing or contributing for the sports post. As always, special shout out to uh, Kevin McLeod and Impotech for the intro music. Remember, rate and subscribe as always on Anchor, Spotify, and all your audio platforms. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Bad Hombres FC podcast. For myself and for Mario, we appreciate you tuning in, and we will talk to you soon. Adios.